0: You are Locked On SEC, your daily podcast on the Southeastern Conference. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: What's happening, everybody? Welcome into Locked On SEC. Great to have you guys along on today's show. Another week in the SEC, another postponement. Texas A&M and Ole Miss this weekend postponed. We'll discuss the latest there. A lot of discussion with Kyle Trask and the Heisman Trophy. We'll talk the latest with Graham Hall of the Gainesville Sun as the Florida Gators look to run the table to Atlanta. Also, we'll talk more on the latest with Will Muschamp's firing at South Carolina. We'll catch up with Ben Briner of the State Newspaper in Columbia. Talk about who could be the next head coach of the Gamecocks. I'm Chris Gordy. Be sure to subscribe and follow Locked on SEC for free wherever you get your podcasts Get the latest episode of this podcast as soon as it comes out each and every day five days a week all right let's jump into it let's go around the conference much to discuss around the conference all right we start texas a&m and ole miss for november 21st the game has been postponed due to continued quarantine of individuals within the Texas A&M football program because Texas A&M has a game tentatively scheduled already for December 12th, the make-up date. The opportunity to reschedule Ole Miss at Texas A&M will be evaluated by the SEC. Becoming a trend in the conference. We've got a lot of games to make up and not enough dates to do so without some major shuffling. Billy Lucci, our buddy from tex he says, sounds like no additional players were positive for the Aggies, which means... One active case, and AM will, will miss a second straight game due almost entirely to contact tracing. Again, what are we doing here? <laughs> I understand the virus is serious. We understand we want to keep the kids healthy. But one positive test from two weeks ago, and we're skipping two games because of contact tracing, just seems... A little odd. Can we figure out a more streamlined way to make this happen? Jimbo Fisher said he hopes to resume full practices by Sunday with the return of the players from contact tracing. And the Aggies will next host LSU, not till November 28th, a week and a half away from their next game. Over at LSU, they expect most of their quarantine football players to return to practice ahead of the Arkansas game this weekend. Coach Ed Ogeron said on Monday, said he has heard some talk of potentially rescheduling the Alabama game as well, but nothing concrete. It's all fluid. He says he does think LSU and Alabama will play somehow, somewhere. Speaking of Alabama, Nick Saban said he's not going to reveal testing or contact tracing numbers, but said Alabama will indeed have the numbers to play their game this Saturday against Kentucky. So game on for Alabama and Kentucky. Some big news late yesterday out of South Carolina following the firing of Will Muschamp as their head coach. Now their star cornerback, J.C. Horn, son of former Saints wide receiver Joe Horn, he has declared for the NFL draft and is opting out for the rest of the season at South Carolina. Things will just get tougher for that Gamecock defense. My only question to J.C. Horn is, you sure that's how you want to go out in your college career as a college defensive back? giving up 60 something points to Ole Miss it just feels like man you got an opportunity to put better better plays on film for draft scouts down the stretch of the season but uh, hey he's happy with his performance wants to move on get ready for the draft more power to him another opt out Texas A&M linebacker Anthony Hines announced he will not be returning to Aggieland he opted out before the season started but was planning to come back to Texas A&M next season. Instead, he announced he will head into the 2021 NFL Draft and start preparing for that. Another Texas A&M player, wide receiver Cam Brown, he has entered the transfer portal, started four games for the Aggies this season, but he will look to head elsewhere. And Auburn linebacker K.J. Britt, he has passed the six-week mark since his thumb surgery, but Gus Malzahn said yesterday... He has still not yet been cleared. It was expected to be a six-week recovery time, so you would expect K.J. Britt back very soon, but no word yet on when he will play. Over at Tennessee, Sean Schamberger appears to have played his last game for the Vols, and Coach Jeremy Pruitt said Monday, the senior defensive back who is a 2019 starter and a standout who's played in just three games this year, he will focus on his academics the rest of the semester and is not expected to play football again this season. Pleasant surprise for the Vols at that star position in their secondary during a breakout junior season, but he missed the first two games of this year and didn't travel to the loss at Arkansas earlier this month. So Sean Schamberger going straight academics. Over at Arkansas, Sam Pittman announced that Devion Warren will not be able to finish out the season for the Razorbacks. Warren was having a career year for Arkansas, but unfortunately injured during the fourth quarter of the Florida game. Pittman was asked for a status update on his receiver Monday morning and announced Warren suffered a torn ACL against Florida. And lastly, over at Georgia, some mystery over who might play quarterback for the Bulldogs when they line up in Sanford Stadium against Mississippi State. We've come to expect likely to be Stetson Bennett, but uh, popular opinion around Georgia fans is that red sophomore JT Daniels could get his first start at Georgia. Now eight weeks beyond gaining medical clearance from the Georgia doctors from the knee injury that wiped him out last season. Daniels should be healthy enough to play now. The question is, do the Bulldogs feel like it's time to make a change? Look, two losses. You're already out of the SEC hunt. You're out of any playoff contention. At this point, it should just be about building for the future and Why not? Let's throw JT Daniels out there and see what you have in him. You know what you have in Stetson Bennett. You kind of know what you have in DeWan Mathis at this point. So it will be interesting to track that throughout the week and see what Kirby Smart decides to do at quarterback for the Georgia Bulldogs. And that is around the conference. Coming up next, our conversation with Graham Hall of the Gainesville Sun. Get the latest on the Florida Gators with that red hot offense and Kyle Trask. Is he the Heisman favorite? I'm sure Mac Jones and some other guys will have something to say about that before it's all said and done. That's coming up next. What better way to enjoy your Tuesday night than locking it in, sitting on the couch, propping your feet up, and popping open an ice-cold Coors Light? I talk about it all the time. That's how I spend every Saturday watching SEC football and drinking ice-cold Coors Light. But on a Tuesday, we got some action. we got Buffalo Bowling Green. We've got Akron, Kent State both on the tube tonight. So let's crack open some Coors Lights together and enjoy some Maxion football. Look, I know it's not SEC, but it still is entertaining, and Coors Light wants you to know no matter what sport you're watching, they're the official beer of watching any sport just to drink beer. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light, cold lager, cold filtered, cold packaged. It is as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. So why not jump on that tonight? Take advantage of it. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit that reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill. And remember, you can get Coors Light in their new look cans delivered straight to your door at get.coorslight.com. And please remember to celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Grab your Coors Light tonight. We're all along here, locked on SEC. A lot going on, a lot to discuss. Yet another postponement again in the SEC this week. We kind of had an idea that was coming. Let's hope no more than that. But a lot to react to, a lot to get to. With only three games this past weekend, we was able to watch and dissect every game multiple times. And it is crazy how uh, you know the SEC is trending now. You got to score a ton of points to win games and. That's what the three winners did over the weekend, particularly the Florida Gators against that really good Arkansas defense to stick it on them and put 63 points up on the board. Really impressive as Kyle Trask, uh, his name starts starting to get mentioned in a lot more Heisman conversations out there. And joining us now to discuss that is Graham Hall, who covers the Gators for the Gainesville Sun. Graham, what's going on, man?
2: Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me on uh, to the podcast. Big fan uh, of what you do. In your coverage, and it's my pleasure to be here and talk all things Kyle Trask, Heisman Trophy candidate. Which, I mean, if you had told me, let alone even before this year, but several years ago when we covered him as a recruit coming out of Manville, Texas, that this guy would be not only in the Heisman Trophy conversation, but the front runner in a sense, and breaking SEC records that Tua Tagaviola and Joe Burrow. We're setting, to have him in the mix, man, I never would have seen this coming, but I guess it just adds to the weirdness that is this year.
1: Well, I don't want to humble brag or anything, but I had a tweet out there back in September when the uh, Gators beat Ole Miss. I said, look, if Florida's offense keeps this up, not only did I have Kyle Trask as my preseason All-SEC first-team quarterback, but I said he could find himself in the Heisman uh, contention, and here we are several weeks later. The only thing that kind of stinks for him, Graham, is just how the schedule sets up is there's really only one game that he needs to perform well in left in the schedule, and that's going to be the SEC championship game if they end up there against Alabama. I know it's hypothetical, but I think it comes down to that game. If he performs well in that game and Florida wins the game because of him, I think Kyle Trask is number one in a lot of people's eyes.
2: Absolutely. I'm with you right there. And and while it is kind of hypothetical, you would assume that Florida – knowing what is at stake and what they can accomplish this season would take care of business. Those remaining four games, knock on wood, but absolutely Dan Mullen today said that it does often, it's an award that often follows team success and very rarely do you have a quarterback who doesn't reach the highest of highs or even a running back going back to Dan Mullen mentioned Darren McFadden being in that conversation back when he was in, offensive coordinator at florida with tim tebow and and what that race was like a few years back or a decade back it often does go to a team that accomplishes business so kyle trask realizes that the gators realize that that he can go out there and throw over 400 yards as much as they want but if, if there's a game like texas a&m left on the schedule where that doesn't get it done or the defense doesn't show up it absolutely is going to hinder his chances but you you're, you're You should humble brag away, because this thing, even in September, seemed so unlikely. There were so many factors against an SEC quarterback in my mind, not just the 10-game slate, the COVID-19 pandemic era, but the ramping up and the ramping down beforehand. I had said that they didn't have enough preparation time to even have uh, a fine-tuned offense, let alone a fine-tuned defense, and the latter seemed to ring more true than the former. But you just have to factor everything into the context because these record-breaking numbers, it's even more appreciative when you factor in that there was no spring, no offense. Florida lost their four best wide receivers last year. Kyle Pitts still out this past week, and he doesn't miss a beat, hasn't missed a beat this entire year. And anyone who predicted that saw something that I think a lot of others just didn't see.
1: Yeah, I was gonna ask you, uh, I mean, the twenty-eight touchdowns through six games is, is absolutely crazy. And huh. you know, we know that's an SEC record, and you know, it's also crazy to look he's only eleven away from passing Danny Werfel and and I mean he won a Heisman, so you gotta think if if you have better numbers than the Heisman winner in Florida, I would think you make a case for yourself. But uh when I look at those pass catching weapons from Grimes to Henderson, uh Kadarius Toney, uh is doing a great job. Copeland, shorter, I mean is this receiving core maybe a little bit better than they were getting credit for at the start of the year?
2: I think so, absolutely. And, and your point about Danny Warfel, real quick—you know, he only he had 13 games to to reach that 39 mark. You know, Kyle Trask is less than what 11 away from that with four more games to play. He's on pace for 45 this season. Absolutely, that's just putting it even more in comparison. He's competing with some of the best offenses. That we've seen here in Gainesville, even before my time, going back to the '94 and '96 season, and then on to even you know 2001 with Rex Grossman there. But as for about the the receiving core, I think absolutely Kyle Pitts has lived up to expectations. There's no doubt about that. But Trayvon Grimes, uh, Jacob Copeland, and especially here Kadarius Tony have more than lived up to expectations. And not to take anything away from the production of last season's pass catching group but they didn't really have the recruiting prestige that some of these guys had. Trey Grimes, Jacob Copeland, these were former five-star, four-star fringe prospects. They, last season's team had guys like Freddie Swain, Josh Hammond, guys who had just obviously Van Jefferson, but guys who had really worked their way up after four years and didn't really come in with all the recruiting prestige. I, I don't know why anyone was sleeping on, on this path-catching group, what they could do given the opportunities, because it was something that we were saying last year. Florida loves spacing the ball around, spreading it around to their wide receivers. No guys were going to get more than 10 targets a game, and and that's rang true this year. And so knowing what we knew ahead of time, it is kind of crazy to me that we were sleeping on this wide receiver group, but Kyle Trask has certainly made them look like some future NFL pass catchers.
1: Talking with Graham Hall of the Gainesville Sun. Uh, Graham, are you surprised? I mean, we only had three games in the SEC this past weekend, but when, when, when I tell you the three winning teams scored 38, 59, and 63 points, I mean, I'm just taken aback at where this conference was just a decade ago where it was running the ball and strong defense got you wins, and now it's, no, not only do you have to have a strong quarterback, but you better have the ball last and scoring 40, 50, 60 points. I mean, it's, it's insane where the SEC is right now. Absolutely.
2: I think we're kind of seeing some of the craziness of what has been trending on for the last decade, like you say. The SEC has been going through this offensive renaissance, in a sense, where teams have been coming more faster. You've been seeing more pro-style quarterbacks coming in as opposed to uh, running this traditional spread that you saw a decade, 15 years ago. And the coaches that have not adapted to that have fallen behind, and their programs have as well. We saw Arkansas certainly won in the past few years that was kind of lagging behind there before they got the offensive personnel. And now they have a coach in there who is used to running that, and Sam Pittman, and you're seeing instant successes. I'm kind of surprised, though, that we have had these huge offensive numbers this season, and I do keep pointing to the lack of defensive preparation in the off season. I had said this before, and we weren't there in every single room and practice session and chances for guys to work out, but common sense just seems to dictate if you're an offensive guy, you can go out to a park, lay down cones, improve your agility, your footwork, work on reps and chemistry with your quarterback and your wide receivers, and do everything else except for full team activities. If you're a defensive player like a linebacker, you're going to need someone else out there to improve your fundamentals in a sense, whether it's your coverage, you're going to need a running back or a wide receiver out there. Uh, But if you are a defensive tackle, a linebacker, who were you tackling in the (laughs) pandemic? That was not happening. You were not able to improve that. When we spoke to guys like Dan Mullen and, and going back even to that BYU game in the first week of the season where no one knew how good BYU was going to be, but Coach Ken puts up, what, 50 points that first week, and everyone starts saying, oh, would defense, no defense? little did we know how good offensively that team was going to be. But Navy's coach comes out that same night and says, we've had two live practicing sets by tackling sessions since spring football got canceled. What are we supposed to do coming out here? This was kind of like a warm-up drill for us, and I was, put Florida – was doing as well and this is a team with a little bit more depth than teams like navy so if it's happening at florida i'm only i can only imagine what it was happening at every other place that didn't have as much depth and couldn't risk having guys doing live tackling even in august preseason camp because they couldn't risk those injuries so i'm not surprised that we had rough defense to start what i am surprised about chris is that florida's defense kind of improved after that 21 day middle of the season shutdown after texas a and you know i'm thinking Oh, all the improvements that they needed to make after giving up 41 points to the Aggies on the road in College Station, well, they're not going to be able to make those now because they're not going to be able to practice. It's not like they weren't playing and, and able to practice. They weren't able to practice either. The fact that we've seen renewed defense in the three weeks since Florida returned to the field is probably the most baffling thing to me, and kind of gets lost in the mix here because a lot of the conversation, rightfully so, is about the prolific offense in Gainesville.
1: Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, you, you, yeah, on the surface, you give up 35 points to Arkansas, but you, they got after it, four sacks, and the fumble recovery for a touchdown. I think the defense is making a little improvements here and there under Todd Grantham, and I think, you know, look, do they, will they be world beaters? No, but I think they'll be good enough with this offense to possibly win a national championship, and that's, that's all you can ask for. Um, last thing, Graham, just a quick thought on, on Will Muschamp being out at South Carolina. I know he's a guy who obviously spent years as the head coach at Florida, uh, was it time in your mind to move on at one? And, and two, where do you think he ends up? Because this is a guy who has spent the majority of his career in the SEC. A good question.
2: And such an interesting situation because I think that South Carolina's expectations in the last 20 years have raised enormously. And that's because of another Florida guy and Steve Spurrier, the 11 years that he spent at that program there, you know, Will, Will Muschamp has had to twice be the guy that replaces the guy, in a sense, at programs, whether it was Urban Meyer or now Steve Spurrier. And what does that that program think they're going to get after Will Muschamp that is worth this massive buyout, another massive buyout for Will Muschamp that is occurring in the middle of the pandemic? I was one of those guys, the sports media down bros, who loved being negative about uh, programs and, and uaa financials which is a fair thing to be negative about because i just figured how could any program in the middle of a pandemic justify paying any coach's buyout that was in excess of 10 million dollars and we have some here in gainesville that i think that applies to as well you, you look at coach mike white anyone thinking that he may possibly be going anywhere uh has to look at the fact that he's owed you know 10 million dollars through 2026 i didn't think that was going to happen in the pandemic but the other side of the coin is you have to look at long-term risk. And someone had floated this figure out there as well. If Will Muschamp's tenure continued and they were to slowly lose long-term interest, that is financially worth more money than paying his buyout right now. The only question I have is who are they going to go out there and replace that is going to be better than Will Muschamp? It's going to get you more than seven wins a season because I don't think it's going to be worth that buyout right now. It would have to be the next Matt Rule or someone walking through that door, and then it looks like a very smart decision. But I I think you'd have to be really a South Carolina homer to sit here right now and say, well, they're trusting the process. They know that they're going to find a better coach than Will Muschamp right now, and it's going to be worth it. I I don't know many people right now can say that
1: that's a – a sound decision. Yeah, well, Hugh Freeze is the name that everybody keeps throwing out uh, there. I don't know if that's going to be the one. I mean, are, are people running out in Columbia, South Carolina to, to buy season tickets next year if Hugh Freeze is the head coach? I don't know. I mean, it's it would get some people excited, but like I said, I don't know if that's drop everything you're doing and get to a South Carolina football game, but we shall see Graham Hall, Gators correspondent for the Gainesville Sun, uh, on Twitter, at Graham Hall underscore. Graham, thanks so much for the time, man.
2: Hey, absolutely. This is a lot of fun. I hope we can do it again, Chris. Hope y'all are staying safe and staying healthy out
1: there. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Graham Hall there, covering the the Gators. Love to get the Gator perspective as, uh, look, Florida keeps kicking butt and taking names. I mean, they are on a roll. Kyle Trask, obviously, you know, six touchdown performances past week. His name being floated out there more in the Heisman conversation with Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Mac Jones, all not playing this past weekend. So, Uh, we'll see if it continues, but the way that the schedule sets up for Florida, I mean, you know, I assume they'll make up the game against LSU, but we've seen LSU is not their typical selves this year. And outside that you got Vandy this weekend, Kentucky and Tennessee. I just don't see any potential roadblocks before the sec title game. And so it's really going to come down to that for Kyle Trask. If he plays well against Alabama in Atlanta, He'll be right there at the top of the Heisman conversation. The question is, what are the other guys doing? What's Fields doing? What's Trevor Lawrence doing? For that matter, what's Mac Jones doing? If Alabama edges out Florida in the SEC title game, it almost feels like it almost doesn't matter what your stats are. You have to get the win. If Trask throws for two, three touchdowns, not a great game, but Florida beats Alabama, and again, that's crazy because he would have to do more than that, three touchdowns, to beat Alabama. I'm just saying, hypothetically, What if he doesn't set the world on fire, but Florida still gets the win? Maybe that's where you just say, oh, but look at the full resume of what he's done all season long, collectively, and the wins. Will it be enough? We will see. All right, when we return, we're going to talk all things Will Muschamp and his firing at South Carolina with our buddy Ben Briner of the State Newspaper in Columbia. For me, it's getting harder and harder to get through the work days. It's that time of year where Thanksgiving's coming up, Christmas is approaching, and starting to drag a little bit in the afternoon. So the best thing for you to get that late afternoon pick-me-up is Built Go. We've been telling you about these guys. If you haven't tried them yet, please just go to their website and check them out, builtgo.com. They make you the best you at whatever you do. When you need to break through that proverbial wall, Built Go is the best workout gel on the market. It's five-hour energy without that same crash-feeling Plus it's natural, so it's better for your body. It's like drinking a monster energy drink, but with a third of the caffeine and better results. They've got three delicious flavors. i tell you all the time, the chocolate mint is my go-to. Built Go combines the energy gel with protein. The protein is fast-absorbing, so it gets into your system fast. Plus, it's easy on your stomach. It's got all those B things that are good for you. B6, Big 12. B12, all those really good things for you. And the collagen promotes joint, soft tissue, hair, skin health, stuff literally makes you look better. Go check them out right now. Builtgo.com. Use the promo code Locked. L-O-C-K-E-D. You'll get 20% off your next order. Again, use the promo code Locked, 20% off at builtgo.com. Let's go. <laughs> Rolling along here, locked on SEC, and the big news here—the last uh, day or so—the big news out of South Carolina as they have made a coaching change, the first coaching change in the SEC this season. As Will Muschamp fired as South Carolina head coach. We've already talked about all the uh, points that this team has given up defensively over these last three games, and obviously some. Very losable games remaining on the schedule. So here to talk a little bit about the latest on the situation in South Carolina's our buddy Ben Briner, of course, uh, writes for the state, uh, state.com, the newspaper there in Columbia, South Carolina, and he joins us now. Ben, how are you, man?
0: Uh, you know, it, it, it's been a day. I mean, after you've given up 59 points, there was a a lot of chatter in the press box, just saying, "Yeah, they they, they just might fire him."
1: Let's uh, let's get into it. I mean, uh,
0: just on a on a scale of one to ten, how shocked were you when you heard the news that he had been fired? Um, not particularly at this point. Uh, the mood had just grown so toxic over the past, really, three four weeks. That I mean, it's the it, it's the SEC, and you know, people can be angry, but if they start getting apathetic, that's an issue. And you could kind of feel things moving toward that apathetic uh, place.
1: What, what happened? Because we saw them play a really competitive game week one against Tennessee. You know, Florida, obviously, the, they didn't have that urgency on that last drive, but they had a chance down at the goal line, could have made it a seven-point game against Florida. You know, the dominating win over Vanderbilt, the win against Auburn where they survived, and then things started to unravel when they went on the road and played LSU. What happened here in these last three games?
0: Well, teams just started pushing them around in the run game. They started leaning on them. And their offense would come in sort of fits and starts. They, they were explosive against LSU but couldn't finish drives and weren't really consistently moving the ball, just getting a few big plays here and there. And, you know, you give up 52 to a team that has a true freshman starting quarterback and has already lost two bad games. Then they turned around, and Tech A&M, I think, is solid on all fronts. And Texas A&M puts together its best game, and South Carolina starts to look a little listless. And then going up against Ole Miss, it, it actually played a little bit to the way that I thought it would, which was I thought South Carolina could score, but I didn't know if they could score enough. And they had to force some turnovers, and instead, they gave up um, just touchdown after touchdown after touchdown. And I mean, you had two plays that were so blown wide open that. Lane Kiffin heaved his play card first about 30 feet in the air and then about 20 rows into the stands. And, I mean, it was Will Muschamp, you know, nominally a defensive coach and his defense was just falling apart. Yeah,
1: it's so weird because you mentioned that. I mean, even when he had, you know, quote-unquote bad teams at Florida, they still had good defenses. The defense still played hard and that's what's crazy to look at the South Carolina team is, you know, J.C. Horn, who's supposed to be a really good defensive back back there some some you know young inexperienced guys on the defense but you know you would you would think talent would shine through at times but for this defense to be as bad as it was I mean do you think part of it was maybe just you know like you said the the, in one ear out the other that just maybe
0: his coaching kind of fallen on deaf ears I don't I don't really know I I know that his his players still love him to a high degree They'll speak very highly of him. And I, it, it, it's interesting because kind of it after every game we've sort of asked him about effort, and he's gotten very animated and said he doesn't question the effort, he thinks that's there. But he, he, just, he kept having these teams, and, and they've also had some problems. They're, none of their defensive line talent has really developed, so that's been an issue. But it, it went from having teams that even if they weren't the most talented, they always looked and felt like they were playing hard. And they were kind of trying to grit it out. And, you know, they might still be giving that effort. But for the last few games, they just haven't given that impression that they were in, in that, that, that hacking and clawing sort of mode. And I think when you kind of lose that, then, it, you know, it, it's like it's letting go of the rope a little bit.
1: Let's uh, let's talk a little, little bit about the buyout, because I've seen people say $15 million, and I saw you had tweeted out, you know, it's more like $13 million. What do we know about the buyout, one, and two, where does that money come from? Because I know so many people make a big deal out of, the school's laying off people, and they're going to pay $15 million to buy out a coach? Uh, explain a little bit about where that comes from.
0: Okay, so the first interesting part is that he actually negotiated the buyout and had it lowered at the end of last season. And he did that because he wanted to hold on to an assistant coach, and to get that coach the raise he wanted, it seemed like there was maybe a little horse trading to, to, to knock down, uh, I think it was uh, annual raises, so it flattened out his contract. Uh, and, and then that assistant ended up getting them uh, a high four-star running back and then promptly leaving for the NFL. So it was, a, it was a weird transaction to say the least. But the thing about the buyout is that all the buyout is is a continuation of salary. So people always look at the full number, but that's not really the number that matters because it's it's broken up over four years. So all it really means is they'll they'll be paying him three point three million bucks a year not to coach minus whatever money he makes at a new job. And that's kind of the big factor. So, you know, it it's a lot of money to eat. And it could be more if he decides to become an analyst at, you know, Georgia or something. Though so, I mean, he's such a recruiter, I don't know that he'd want to do that. But then there's the flip side of it depends what job he gets. So, for example, you know, if LSU has a defensive coordinator opening and Will wants to do that, well, whatever he earned from LSU would come off the books at South Carolina. And so the num- that number is very funky and kind of fungible, but then on the flip side, there's paying out assistants, there's hiring new assistants, hiring a new coach and paying his buyout. So it gets kind of weird and murky kind of at that top level. And the other part of it,
1: too, and I try to explain this, I tweeted this out uh, on Twitter, but, you know, like if, if a school call, if you're a big money booster for an athletic program and you're just, you know, a diehard South Carolina fan and you'll do anything it takes for the football team, you've got season tickets. If the school calls you throughout the year and says, hey, we'd like to build a new computer lab, would you like donating to that? That person, more often than not, is going to go, no, I'm good. Hey, we're, we'd like to raise some money because we're having to furlough some employees in our departments. No, I'm good. Hey, would you like to pay money to get a new a new football coach in? Yes, I'll do that. I know it's crazy. I know you might disagree with it, but that's how a lot of these big money boosters are built around these college athletic programs.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, that's it, it's sort of the, the beast is built on enthusiasm, the kind of enthusiasm that, as you said, get people to shell out large sums of money to sort of make that happen. And, you know, as I kind of said, a lot of it depends how much college athletics bounce back economically because, you know, South Carolina, at least when the times are good, does have a lot of money and 3.3 million a year minus, you know, again, if he gets an SEC coordinator job, that could knock a million and a half off that, you know, that's not, great to have on the book, but it's not necessarily a killer in that kind of big way. And it's interesting because you have other situations where, you know, people have structured buyouts differently. I know uh, Dan Mullen might be done with this now, but on Dan Mullen's first contract, he had like a tremendously reasonable buyout because the Jim McElwain and Muschamp buyouts were, I think, not mitigated and incredibly onerous. So, you know, sometimes it gets kind of weird and funky and it's important to not just necessarily look at that number and also remember that you know Will Muschamp does now have four years of generational wealth so you know he's not in the worst position at least personally
1: (laughs) Ben Briner from the state newspaper um All right, Ben, let's discuss candidates. I mean, this is where all the attention's going to turn. This is where I'm sure you'll be writing stories every day for the next several weeks about who South Carolina can hire. The big name everybody's automatically pointing to is Hugh Freeze at Liberty. Look, the guy was successful at Ole Miss unceremoniously, and now he's at Liberty, kicking butt at Liberty. So a lot of people are looking at Hugh Freeze. Yes, he just got a big payday from Liberty, signed an extension. There's going to be money involved with that kind of buyout to get him. Who is your guy right now? If you had to pinpoint somebody, is Hugh Freeze the number one target in South Carolina's mind?
0: I I kind of don't know. I've seen some reporting that the uh, national guys have said that the SEC might have to sign off on it. Um, I mean, he has a lot of baggage, and I, actually looking at some of his stuff, his offenses were maybe a little less effective than I think a lot of people think they were, but he's, he has always, wherever he's gone, he is you know, created high-end success. The name that I think—I don't know if he's the first choice, but I think he's the most solid choice and is probably sort of the most checking all the boxes kind of choice is Billy Napier out of Louisiana. He is, uh, you know, a former Clemson offensive coordinator. He worked for Nick Saban. He worked for Jim McElwain. He's turned Louisiana into quite a team. He runs kind of a—I guess they call it a modern pro style. So it's got. Some good running stuff, but also, you know, it doesn't necessarily feel stodgy. He's got a reputation as a majestic recruiter. And, you know, if you're in the Nick Saban tree, the number of defensive assistants that you could probably tap to be a new defensive coordinator is relatively high. So I think he's, I think he kind of checks a lot of the boxes. He also played high school ball in the state. In fact, actually played uh, one of his uh, top targets was Dez Kitchings, who's now South Carolina's running backs coach.
1: Yeah, well, you breaking all that down makes it seem like I, he may be the, the the best hire and the one in the driver's seat. And you look at what he's done at ULL, obviously they've had a really good offense this year and, you know, a winning records in his time in his three years at ULL, so... That very well could be the guy, Billy Napier. And, you know, the question becomes, if you're Ray Tanner in South Carolina, are, are more people going to be lined up to buy season tickets with Billy Napier going into next year with a clean slate than they would have with Will Muschamp for another year? And I think the answer to that would be yes. He is Ben Briner, the state newspaper in Columbia, South Carolina. Ben, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it.
0: Hey, no worries.
1: Thanks for having me on. Thanks a lot, man. Ben Briner there of uh, the state newspaper in Columbia. You know, he's very busy with uh, all this news coming out in the last uh, day or so. But um, South Carolina making the move. Will Muschamp no longer the head coach. They're a long SEC coach. Where does Will Muschamp end up now? We shall see. But, of course, if he gets a good job next, that will help alleviate a little bit of this buyout from South Carolina and having to pay it. But uh, interesting. Na- everybody and their brother wants to say Hugh Freeze, but I, I like Ben Briner. They're just telling us reasons why Billy Napier could be the guy. Up next for South Carolina, we shall see. That is just about going to do it for this edition of Locked on SEC. My thanks to our guests, especially Graham Hall from the Gainesville Sun, uh, helping us out talking some Florida Gators, and then, of course, Ben Breyer from the State Newspaper in Columbia with the latest on the Will Muschamp firing in South Carolina. We'll discuss more tomorrow and throughout the week on Locked on SEC. Again, hopefully no more postponements, please. Ole Miss, Texas A&M already not happening this weekend. We'll preview some more games with some more special guests tomorrow on the show. Keep it locked to Locked on SEC.